We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy is here today, and as we were getting ready to start the podcast, I said, "You got to give me, you got to give me a quick minute. I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back." And um, when I got back, which was pretty quickly, probably within a minute and a half, what did you say to me? I said to you, "That was pretty quick." And I said, "I guarantee, in 15 years from now, it won't be that quick." <laughs> is, is that true? Yes, it is. Oh, no. <laughs> I like to be able to, you know, take care of things quickly. I don't like a lot of time wasted. Actually, there are times in the bathroom where I love just on my phone reading. Do you ever? And, and, and it, oh, yeah. I, it, do, I do that, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the shower for me ends up becoming the time where I end up coming with coming up with most of my show topics. Like I get into the, I don't shower every morning before work. It all depends on what time I get up. If I get up at like four fifteen, which is the first uh, wake up uh, alarm uh, number on my phone, then I'll get in the shower and I'll think, and I usually come up with a good idea or two in the shower. For the radio show, and you know, sometimes we'll take it into the podcast as well. And then if I get up at the latest time, which is the four forty-five wake-up call, and I sometimes I then don't shower before. How many of people that are listening are like, you don't shower sometimes before you go to work? Well, why would I? There's nobody here in the studio with me. I'm the only person walking into the building at five a.m. Um, and then when I'm done, many times I'll go home after the radio show if I haven't showered and I'll shower and eat breakfast at home and then come back and do the podcast with you or, you know, solo or with somebody else. Um, I kind of like that, um, that I I don't have to shower before work. Well, listen, you know, uh, look, I shower every day, but I'm not, I don't care that much about other people's shower habits. And I'm always amazed (laughs) Uh, when some people are obsessed about it, because like it's not like most of us work in coal mines every day, you know. I mean, what are you doing during the day that that gets you so dirty you need to shower again? I know people who shower twice a day. I and, uh, like I said, they're not they're not working in a coal mine. Well, it doesn't uh, look obviously. If you're working in a coal mine, you have to shower. 
It, but it, yeah. but you're you're if you're in a job where you're working around and you're in your clothes all day and no 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 you have to shower every day. If it's there are weekends yeah. there are weekends when I'll wake up on a Saturday morning, lounge around all day, watch games, and not shower. But then, but I could never go both weekend days without showering. I would then have to wake up on Sunday morning and shower. And I, but I'm saying I know people that shower twice a day. I have showered twice a day, yes, but it's only be, it's only usually because I've worked out in the middle of the day. And then I don't. Well, that's different. Yeah, and I don't like to work out and then get into bed. You know, especially if it's at night with like I will if I work out, I will shower before I get into bed. I don't like getting into bed right. um, like that. What are we doing here? I wanted to read something to you to start the show because okay. Ron Rivera spoke today um, down at the league meetings in Palm Beach, Florida, at the lovely Breakers Hotel. And uh he said a lot of things, but he said one thing in particular that got repeated by all of um, the beat reporters down there, Nikki, John, JP, Ben, um, Michael Phillips, everybody else. He said about the Washington reputation, you know, and people not wanting to come here and just the overall reputation of the organization. He said, quote, we're an easy target. I get it. And frankly, I'm tired of it. We have to win. That's the truth of the matter. Closed quote. I I kind of liked that response, and I also will tell you in a moment why I'm a little bit not bothered by the response, but by the, bothered by a gut feel that I have about him and the new people that are there of the last two years. But I'll I'll let you answer how you feel about this first. Okay, let me let me sit, give him the benefit of the doubt and say my, my interpretation of what he was saying was, you know, I'm tired of it, but he's not putting the blame on the people delivering the message because he says, I get it. You know, he basically he's saying, you know, if you read between the lines, you know, it, it, it's a deserving, it's a deserving moniker. It's a deserving reputation. And we need to overcome that quickly by winning. So I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt of saying, I'm tired of it, but he points the finger inward instead of outward. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I, I want to kind of co- combine this with things that he has said in the past. You know, when he's asked for people to forget about the past and focus on the future and, you know, it's a, it's a new regime and we're, we're going to stay positive and we need it. You know, when he's kind of rooted on the media a little bit in, 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 in the past to yeah. be more positive. Yeah, I, and I understand. Yeah. So, you know, which I know has irritated you, and and I get that. It's irritated me a little bit as well. First of all, I do think that he does get it um, in terms of why they're an easy target. I'm not so, so sure he got it totally when he when he got here, um, but yeah. I also think he understands that the only way out of this is to win. There's no other way. Which is why on the Deshaun Watson conversation when we were having it, it's like at this point, you know, what's the downside? They don't have a downside anymore. 
other than relegation, but they don't have that in this league. If they were in the Premier League, they'd have to worry about relegation. Actually, they would have been relegated a long time ago. But I'm, but, but they're not going to be banned from the league. There's, there's no there, okay, but, but, but the the downside is so it's so ironic. It shows you how fucked up this team is. The downside, people with the team, uh, the handful of people that would actually think this would say, well, the downside is the owner could wind up getting forced out. But that's the biggest upside of all. It, well, of course, of course, that would be. Enough. You know, that's so ironic. I mean, that's the only downside left for them is the owner forced out but that's the biggest upside of all shows how screwed up they are you know what's funny is he says we have to win that's the truth of the matter and that is but the other way to win would be the for the owner to sell like if the owner was forced out and they lost for the next five years people would still be a lot happier I, I, and, yes. and, and, yes. I, and I know there's no guarantee that the next owner is going to be better, but let me assure you that there is a guarantee that the next owner couldn't be worse. So you've got yes. that going for you. But um, so I, I think, you know, I think Ron understands it. I think he understands the way out is to win. Um, but I think there's another part of this where he says, I'm tired of it. And I, I, you know, in that, that's where I kind of recollect some of his previous quotes, and I'm paraphrasing, where he's tired of the criticism and he wants people to be positive and he wants people to stop focusing on the past. Let me just tell you, Coach, you're not nearly as tired of it as all of us are. We've been living it for a quarter of a century. And this was something that was truly part of our hearts you know, this was an important part of our lives, probably an outsized part of our lives. Nobody's more tired of it than everybody else. And, you know, nobody's more tired of it. When it comes to the media, by the way, you know, the, the scapegoat for so many dumbass fans out there uh, that believe that this is like media initiated or most of it is. Again, the media is tired of it, too, because the media isn't benefiting from covering a winner. See, that's the part, and I've emphasized this a lot over the years, I don't think people realize how much benefit there would be to things like what we do if we were covering a winner. Um, forget about, you know, uh, just financially, but the opportunities that would exist for so many people. I mean, like, what book is John Keim going to... Well, you know what? Actually, there probably is a good book to be written about this organization's last like, oh, yeah. few years anyway. Or, you know, really, there, there, there actually is a good book to be written. I guess RG3 wanted to write something um, of a tell-all book, uh, but he has shelved that for the time being. But, you know, for, for guys like Ron and, you know, the, the newcomers to the organization... You're not as tired of it as all of us. You've only been here for two years. You can't possibly understand what is at the core of all of this. You know, it started for so many of us with this incredible, incredible emotional tie to this, you know, this diversion. It was so important to us, so important to the community. And it's been beaten out of many of us completely. And for some of us, almost all there. And so 
I don't know if he sometimes or any of the newcomers do understand, you know, the tired of it, you know, and it's, by the way, they're not just tired of it. They, they've already, they tired of it a long time ago. They've, they've rid themselves of it. Many people have the other thing too, and not that he said this in this quote at all, um, but I know they feel this way in this new administration, just like the last administration felt this way. And maybe even the one to a much lesser extent prior to the previous organization felt this way. This is not a tough media market. I know we've had this conversation before, so I will keep it short. I know people out there think that this is a really brutal, you know, uh, a media market when it comes to them. No, it's not. It's not. You people would be cowering in your shoes with the performance and the behavior of the last 22 years if you had been in New York or Boston or Philly. And that's all I'll say. Yeah. You know, this is the exact thing that Barry Trotz went through when he came to Washington to coach the Capitals. He got very annoyed about the narrative after they have their early exit in the playoffs right. that Cap fans were used to. Oh. I mean, like, he just he got very annoyed at the fact that people kept bringing up the history. You know, he would say, well, that, you know, this is a new time, new era, new people. And I remember having a conversation with him once saying that, you know, it's been a long time. It's been a long time and people have lived it and they're not just going to give it up just because, uh, you know, there's a new group here and you're going to have to overcome that. And he finally got that in actually the Stanley Cup year. I mean, the year he went, that, that offseason when he went to Russia uh, and, and stopped in for a visit with Ovechkin and gave his speech uh, that people aren't going to remember how great you are, they're only going to remember what you haven't done. And, and that's when a Stanley Cup. He finally got it then that while he may thought of it was unfair, that I always say when you take a job like that, you, are, you, you carry everything of the organization with it, the whole history, all the good and all the bad. You know, if you're Ron Rivera, you can't talk about this team's Super Bowls and winning traditions and then just carve out the, the bad stuff. You know, you inherit it all because the people have lived it all. The fans have lived it all, and it comes with the territory. It may not be fair, but it's real. Um, there were a couple of other things that Rivera said today. He was asked about Chase Young, and he said Chase Young had an awakening um, after going through his struggles last season. I'm reading from Ben Standig's tweet. said he anticipates Young attending the offseason workouts based on their conversations. Um, and that would be, by the way, even if – he isn't ready to go coming off that ACL. Uh, I still have high hopes for Chase Young. I'm, you know, I'm not in the camp of bailing because he had a bad season, an off year, and by the way, I think maybe an immature, you know, second year. I mean, he's still a very young person, and hopefully, in, in a, and I've heard very bright, so hopefully, he kind of learned from really I've got a C on my chest, so I'm going to be the only one not to post because I got business to take care of? No, he's going to have to post for the these OTAs and the minicamp. I think he will 
this year. And I still have high hopes for Chase Young and Montez Sweat. They're, you know, you you can't teach the talent they have. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden you're going to get a player that's going to have their kind of talent. So, um, you know, Ron Rivera is, by the way, also confirming, as he has many times in the past, when he uses a word like awakening, you know, we keep hearing this, and we've heard this many times previously, the issues they were having when he was talking about doing your job and, you know, following the game plan and all that other stuff early last year, uh, he was pointing, and the coaches were pointing at number 99 as much as they were yes. anybody else. Um, yes, like we, like we said throughout the whole season last year, both of us. Yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was pretty clear what, what was going on. Look, I'm with you. I mean, there, there's so much talent those two players have. I mean, you'd be foolish to give up on them. But it's pretty stunning how ineffective they were last year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. It really is. I mean, they were really ineffective. I mean, their backups played better. Yeah, it's one of the reasons, and we're going to get to this, because DraftKings, MyBookie, and others have posted their opening um, over-under numbers or their updated uh, over-under numbers for the upcoming season based on, you know, kind of this first wave of free agency um, ending. But I wanted to read one more thing from Ron Rivera from today's discussion. And and there's more, and and we might get to to more of that um, today or tomorrow. But Ben Standig tweeted out the following. He tweeted out that Rivera today said that the Wentz trade – changed their plan at 11, meaning in the first round at 11. He was asked, does it change their plan? He said, yes, it does. It does at 11, most certainly. For future depth, it doesn't change it, though. So he is telling you right then and there, they're not taking a quarterback at 11. Now that doesn't... Or he's telling, or he's telling his rivals that they're not taking a quarterback at 11. There's Maybe. a lot of gamesmanship that goes on here. Fair point. I mean, we don't know for sure. Fair point. You know? Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know how – I'm not privy to how much credibility all the front office executives give each other when it comes to draft talk. But you're right. Initially, on, on what you're saying is they're not going to draft a quarterback. That's probably true. Yeah. Unless, like you said, they really like a guy. They've decided by the end of April that we really like this guy. We've got to take him. Uh, I got this um, tweet from Jimmy C. from Connecticut, a big Giants fan. Um, Sheehan, why on earth would you want another quarterback? The draft choices they, they gave Indianapolis, Carson Wentz, has the upside that you've been looking for. You've been saying you want guys with high ceilings. He's got that. He goes on and on. Um, first of all, thank you, but we're not taking advice from Giants fans. Um, secondly, um, <laughs> I'm going to read. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, Tommy, the Chris Ballard stuff. You know, we've been reading the Frank Reich stuff, which has been super positive about, you yes. know, uh, about Carson Wentz and even the Doug Peterson stuff from the coaches yesterday. Yes. Well, Chris Ballard. Yeah, a remarkable, a remarkable what, what, what a saint this guy is. Uh, and how beloved he is, and and all that, and yet he can't find a home. It's just one of those mysteries of the NFL. 
So I want to read from this column in The Athletic written by Stephen Holder um, about uh, essentially what happened in Indianapolis and, you know, the, the fallout. And there's a lot of Chris Ballard, the Colts general manager in here. And Chris Ballard is a little bit more direct and a little bit less effusive of Carson Wentz. Um, let me just read some of this story because I think this is – in, in regards to – you guys all would have to be incredibly naive to think that Frank Reich is in love with Carson Wentz and just got rid of him after a year. Okay, something went drastically wrong in Philadelphia at the end and in Indianapolis at the end or during. If you don't believe that, you are a mark. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have talent that he might not play well here, that this might be the organization where he has you know, some sort of an epiphany and he becomes an incredible leader and an incredible player. And man, will Ron Rivera and company be able to say, we told you so. And, and you know what? For their sake, I hope it's true. For everybody that is so heavily invested in this team, it's possible you didn't acquire a guy without talent. But if you think that they were able to acquire him because he's so great and so without flaw, you're really a dope. So I read from this Stephen Holder story in The Athletic because it's got a lot of Chris Ballard in it. It's really good. He writes, it's over now, and, we're all, and all we're left to do is reflect on the highs and lows, on the promise unfulfilled, on the hopes dashed. The Carson Wentz era lasted all of one season in Indianapolis. The quarterback was traded earlier this month to the Washington Commanders just 12 short months after the start of his second act with the Colts. So much has happened in the past few weeks from the Wentz trade to the tense moments without a starting quarterback on the roster to the surprising acquisition of Matt Ryan. But at no point did we hear the perspective of the men who risked their reputations for Wentz and then and, and their view of the ill-fated trade that now can be viewed with the benefit of hindsight. Would they have mortgaged future draft capital and tied themselves to a quarterback coming off a disastrous season if they had to do it again? Well, this was Chris Ballard. Looking at the decision at the time, based on where we were in the draft, what it was going to take to trade up, we had a player that Frank Reich had success with. I still don't think it was a bad decision. It just didn't work, and sometimes that happens. But the way the Colts see it, this is a key juncture in the story and an important lesson they will take from the failed experiment. As they weighed their next move, the Colts settled on cutting their losses. There's nothing worse, they concluded, than compounding a bad decision by doubling down on it. It was a good debate, Ballard said, of the discussions with Reich and owner Jim Irsay that went back and forth. Carson was productive for us. Let's be real here. He had 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. But my job is to look not only at the short-term, but also the long-term implications. And I think sometimes you hang on just because you made a move and you don't want the world to see you in a negative viewpoint. But at the end of the day, I'm a steward for the organization. That's the way I look at it. And we got to always do the right thing no matter how it might make me look. I just thought it was the right move for us, short and long term. Um, 
for Reich, the coach who, in in his words, stuck my neck out for Wentz, vouching for him as the offensive coordinator in Philly, the whole process of evaluating Wentz after the season was gut-wrenching on a personal level. Reich said, you guys know how I feel about him. Reich also added, you have to make the move that you think is right. As is often the case in life, the appropriate decision is, all, is not always the easiest. That was certainly true here. So here comes some really interesting stuff from this. This is the money quote. So yeah, this, this, this is going to be a money quote coming up from Ballard at some point, right? Yes. The, this is a, the, the, okay. the Ballard. Well, there's, there's two, two things. Number one, the Colts confirmed something that has been previously reported recent weeks in this publication, meaning The Athletic. They moved on from Wentz without having a replacement lined up. And by the way, their back, their quarterback on their roster was Sam Ehlinger, a running quarterback out of Texas. They moved on from Wentz. And by the way, they were willing to release Wentz without a plan to replace him. Asked whether they got lucky when Ryan, Matt Ryan, the 2016 NFL MVP, became available from the Falcons in recent weeks, Ballard was unequivocal. Damn right we did. Lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it, Reich conceded. Frank Reich conceded. However you wish to describe the process, the Colts embarked on it without knowing they could acquire a quarterback of Ryan's caliber. But they moved forward despite that reality. And that tells you everything you need to know about the franchise's view of the prospect of Wentz returning in 2022. There were too many indications that the plan had gone awry. The message was driven home long before those two fateful final losses to the Raiders and Jags that eliminated the Colts from the playoffs. This was a reclamation product that would not end with actual reclamation. So many things told them this. The late season limitations on Reich's play calling brought about by Wentz's performance. The drastic drop-off in wide receiver performance on yards after catch. An obvious lack of belief in the quarterback from the team. It was just time. And here is the money quote from Chris Ballard, the GM. It's just experience. The locker room knows who's there by merit and who's there by status. They know. When you lose that part of it, now you're sacrificing everything you've built up to this point. Closed quote. God damn, how many times (laughs) have we heard that over the last 10 years? We heard that from Mike about Robert. When everybody in the locker room knew Cousins was the better quarterback, Cousins was the better guy. And Mike, I remember, said, "You, you know, once the team knows, if you keep pushing it, you are going to lose the team. We heard that from Ron Rivera about Dwayne Haskins when he demoted him to third string. I had 52 other guys that were looking at me like, what are you doing? And this is what Ballard is saying. The locker room knows who's there by merit and who's there by status. They know. And when you lose that part of it, now you're sacrificing everything you've built up to this point. So it might work here. It might work here. I will tell you that if I were putting out the odds of it working here, it would be less than 50-50. I'm not saying it's zero. I'm not saying it's 10%, but it's probably like, you know, a, a one in four, one in three chance that it works out. And part of, part of it is this is 
not the place where people go to get right. Not usually. This is not usually. This is typically not the organization where reputations are salvaged and reclaimed. Just the opposite. Okay? This is the place where NFL reputations go to die. It's it's just um these are the things that if you want to bury your head in the sand and pretend that Carson Wentz only played in 2016 and 2017, you can do that. Um but Washington got desperate, period. Ron Rivera can tell you all he wants, that they did all their due diligence and and they have all the answers and they feel great about this. And Frank Reich was the first one to call him, to congratulate him, to tell him what a great guy he got. And you can read Doug Peterson's quotes, which are so positive about Carson Wentz. If all of those people are telling you the truth, well, then why isn't he playing in either one of those two places, people? I mean, it's yeah. really yeah. not that hard. If he's all that, why isn't he playing in Indy? Why isn't he playing in Philadelphia? The Philadelphia thing's a little bit easier because they had a total regime change. Well, they had a coaching change anyway. Um, but still, if you're Nick Sirianni, are you coming in if Carson Wentz is so great and such a great guy and saying, let's move on from him with a $33.8 yeah. million salary, a dead, a dead salary cap hit? No, you're not. I just think, you know, for, for I, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and apologize for continuing to talk about this trade. This is a high-risk trade. You know, it's not a high-risk trade because you gave up multiple firsts. It's a high-risk trade because you could be totally wasting a year. Now, if they weren't going to get Trubisky and they didn't get Wilson, Rodgers, Deshaun, understood all of that. They didn't know Matt Ryan was available. They're not interested in Jimmy G. Apparently nobody's interested in in Jimmy G at this point, um, except for the 49ers. Uh, You hated every single quarterback that you looked at in the draft. You know, and here this was it, and you didn't want with the promise of a quarterback change and an upgraded quarterback and with a new name and new uniforms and a new crest updated already, um, you had to go in with like somebody that people have heard of and who's got some upside. Okay. But th- that Chris Ballard quote is really, really telling because we have heard that before about two different quarterbacks in this town. Robert Griffin III and Dwayne Haskins. Where are their careers right now? This is the last shot, by uh, by the way. The more I think about it, I don't know how many teams were, were willing to give Wentz another shot. Doesn't seem like a lot. So if he doesn't make it here, I don't know. When you don't make it here, that gets back to the reputation they have. Somebody else might think, well, we knew it wasn't going to work there. We'll give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. That may be. That that may happen. People may look at it and say, well, of course he wasn't going to get right in Washington. You know, he comes here, we can fix him. There's always that. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we've got other things to get to, including a couple of things that Martin Mayhew said yesterday and the new totals for the 2022 season are out, the over-under totals. And Washington's total is actually lower than I thought it would be. Uh, We'll get to those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Rate us and review us, too. That's the most important thing, especially on Apple and Spotify. So many of you are doing it. So many more of you haven't. So if you want to take 30 seconds and pause the podcast right now and give us a five-star rating on Apple and a quick one- to two-sentence review, it would be much appreciated. This from New Parent 415 Love this podcast. I used to listen to Kevin and Tom on 980. Was disappointed when they didn't have their show on radio anymore. It's been a long time now. Now you guys are back on the podcast. We've been back on the podcast for a long time now. And I couldn't be happier. Never stop arguing with each other on the podcast. <laughs> These are the best moments. We'll continue to listen. Um, this from uh, Roger Narasetti, who's a big, I know, big Tony Kornheiser fan. Quote, the ball explodes off his foot, closed quote. Yes, that's the way I described Dustin Hopkins for many years. They love him because the ball explodes off his foot. It's true. Um, This from uh, ST Cohen 79, a must listen if you are a commander's or Terps fan. Love when you go on complete tangents with Cooley and Tommy. Keep up. The great uh, work. Um, and uh, yeah, all of you that have been writing in reviews, I mean, they're coming in by the droves, so I, it's much appreciated, but keep them coming because it's huge for us uh, as far as revenue goes. So, um, Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera today confirmed that Cole Holcomb is a middle linebacker candidate for those of you that were wondering how they were going to solve their middle linebacking uh, situation. First of all, um, what we did here when the season was over is that J- the Jamin Davis experiment for middle linebacker was pretty much over. Uh, so yeah. they haven't added anybody in free agency. Bobby Wagner, more likely than not, isn't coming here. They could, you know, they could draft Devin Lloyd. They could draft Nicobe Dean in the first round. I doubt they're going to use number eleven overall. On a uh, on an inside linebacker, Cole Holcomb can really run. Remember, base defense not a lot of the time. The four to three, they're in nickel a lot, which typically means two linebackers are on the field. Um, and uh, Holcomb last year was always one of them. Uh, that's for sure. I'm not giving up on Jamin Davis. Just for those of you that have, I think he's really gifted athletically. 
and maybe they threw too much at him trying to play the middle linebacker position. And I can tell you, because Ron told me this on one of the shows at the end of the year, they really missed John Bostic, and they think some of Davis's development was hampered by the loss of John Bostic. I know many of you don't like John Bostic as a player, but they really considered Bostic to be their highest IQ defensive player and the coach on the field. And when he got injured, they felt it actually impacted negatively Jamin Davis's development. Uh, as an aside, I would not be surprised if you get to camp or shortly before camp if they haven't added more linebackers and they re-sign John Bostic to like a one-year veteran minimum. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying if they don't add anybody between now and then, they love him. Um, but uh, I think Jamin Davis is athletically inc- gifted. So is Cole Holcomb. And Holcomb, high IQ, was pretty much given the responsibilities of play calling um, you know, for much of last year after Bostic got hurt. So we'll see. Um, here's another thing, by the way, Tommy, that, um, that Martin Mayhew uh, said yesterday. So... He was asked about, you know, players not wanting, you know, the impression that players don't want to come here. And Mayhew rejected that, saying, quote, I don't know if I would agree with that. We've had talks with a lot of agents about players who want to come to Washington. So I wouldn't agree with that assessment, closed quote. And, you know, J.D. McKissick ended up, he wanted to stay here. John Allen re-signed last year. John Allen's also from here. You know, they have signed free agents, big-time free agents last year. Obviously, William Jackson uh, signed a big deal here. Curtis Samuel signed a big deal here. But let me just mention this. The real, real measuring stick on whether or not players really want to play here, players with real choices, it's going to be Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin is a really good player. He's a really good teammate, leader, locker room guy. He has professed how much he loves it here, how much he enjoys living in D.C. He's not from here. And this is going to be one of those, does he, does he end up going the same way of Kirk Cousins, Trent Williams, Brandon Sheriff? Or does he go the John Allen route? Again, John's from here. He's living like three minutes from where he grew up, you know, playing, um, you know, out in Loudoun County before, you know, going to Alabama. Uh, But I think the Terry McLaurin thing is huge for this organization, and they are going to have to offer a boatload of money. They could franchise tag them a year from now, but we know what the history is with the franchise tag in this team. It just doesn't work out usually. You know, uh, well, let me get back to the linebackers for a second. Uh, it's not a good group, okay? Cole Holcomb may be the best of the bunch, you know, and Jamin Davis may be a great athlete. And, uh, you know, they might love John Bostic because he's smart on the field. But it's a weak unit. It really is. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that, that they, need, they need to upgrade. Yeah, they do. At linebacker. Significantly. Uh, as far as Mayhew's comments, uh, I wouldn't expect, look, he's a, he's a general manager. What's he going to say? Yeah, you know, I find it really tough getting people who want to stay here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, he just can't say that, even if it's true, and even if he believes it. 
he can't say that. So, you know, I'm not going to roast him over the coals for saying oh, something that I'm not. is probably contrary. I know you're not. I know you're not. It's probably contrary to the truth. And uh, as far as Terry McLaurin, I think if he leaves, it's a bigger indicator than if he stays. Well, yeah. Because because you could you know you could blow him away with a deal that he can't turn down. Right. You know the wider. Right. I think most people think that this is a the guy they ha- they 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 need to do whatever they can to keep. Am I wrong? Um, I I think you're right. I think you're right. I think we're going to find out here soon. You know, over the next several months, maybe the next couple of months. You know, before training camp starts, I think we're going to find out. I mean, the wide receiver salaries right now, you know, I'm sure Terry's agent is going to say Tariq Hill at $30 million a year, Devontae Adams at $28 million a year, DeAndre Hopkins at twenty-seven, DJ Moore and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Amari Cooper are all in the 20 to 21 range. You know, he's going to be looking for a deal that's going to put him in the, in the top five. You know, on average, the top the top yeah. five average would be closer to twenty five million, um, which is what they'd have to tag him for next year. So you know, it's that situation that's a little bit sticky because the top three salaries of Hill, Adams, and Hopkins are there's big room between number three and number four, like seven million a year, roughly. But the average will come out to be somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty five. And so it's it's like because I you know I always think back and I know people hate when we reference Kirk Cousins but when they offered him at the end of the 2015 season 13 million dollars a year when the tag the next year was going to be worth 20 like who was doing who was handling their math like why would he ever accept that deal. Um, even if it, it it had been a longer term deal with like twenty guaranteed, he was twenty guaranteed with the tag the next year. So in the McLaurin situation, he's going to be in that twenty four to twenty five guaranteed with a tag next year. So that's almost the starting point as an you know annual average, maybe a little bit lower because you end up guaranteeing a significant portion of it if it's a five year deal, something like a four to five year deal. Um, but they're going to have to pay for Terry McLaurin, and they're probably, with respect to where his true ranking is among receivers, they're probably going to have to overpay. But as I've said many, many years, going back to what Field Yates told me eight, nine years ago, and he used this phrase on the show, today's overpayment is tomorrow's bargain. And so they'll have to look at it th- that way because the receiver salaries are cooking right now. I mean, they are really the guy by the way that's looking yeah. for a new deal right now is Stefan Diggs. I mean this guy's never happy and he's he's in a perfect situation in Buffalo. And by the way, he's from here having played um at you know at good counsel um for legendary legendary coach Malloy. Uh but um but uh yeah, I by the way, I, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to look for the tweet. There was another thing that came out of this morning. Maybe Maybe JP tweeted it. Let me just look for it about looking for other playmakers to go with for uh, with Wentz. Hold on. I want to find this because I thought it was an interesting comment. I my personal view is that if they it's not going to surprise me if they don't add another receiver. 
I think many of you believe they have to add another receiver. And I'm not, by the way, against them adding another receiver. I think it really depends on what their true feelings of De'Ami Brown are. I think that they think De'Ami Brown is a legit number two in this league. And with good, good uh, with an upgrade in quarterbacking, he's going to prove that. And then they also have, you know, hopefully a healthy Curtis Samuel, a healthy Logan Thomas, and J.D. McKissick back. And we'll see what they would do with DeAndre Carter. But they, they'll probably look at this and say, our weaponry around Wentz isn't that bad. Now, Brown is kind of the key there. They believe in him. I think they believe in him. They did last year. And if they don't, if, they, if they've cooled on De'Ami Brown, then maybe they'll be looking to add somebody. But there was something in here, and I can't find it right now, where Ron Rivera said they're looking to continue to add offensive weapons to you know, give Carson Wentz the best you know, potential weaponry uh, that he can have. So anyway, yeah, the McLaurin thing's going to be interesting, really interesting. Yeah. If I'm his agent... He's in a he's in a really good spot. Now, I don't know how they would feel about a one year franchise tag for twenty four, twenty five million or you know, somewhere in that general range. You know, this is the time to strike on a big long term deal where, you know, you end up getting, you know, twenty three, something like that, you know, twenty two a year. I'm sure the team's thinking more like eighteen to twenty. Um, you know, and, and you get a four-year deal for 90, something like that, with 650, 60 of it guaranteed, you know, whatever. I mean, the guarantees now are just going up and up. Um, you know, this is the opportunity for him to, to strike on something like that. And if he doesn't, then, you know, you, you end up, um, you know, risking losing him in free agency next year or forcing the tag. Yeah. Yeah, and like I, like I said before, I think uh... – if he leaves, it really speaks to the uh, the premise that I put forward that when it comes to talented players, the only ones they can keep are hostages, the ones who can't leave. <laughs> no, no, you just can't leave. Um, no. All right. Uh, I wanted to um, – this is obviously so far a heavy – actually a 100% minus the um, going to the bathroom talk uh, – Washington Commanders show and I want to keep it going because I do think they're over under total um, now with the odds makers uh, is an interesting one so basically all of the casinos BetMGM, MyBookie, DraftKings, FanDuel etc they've all now updated after this first wave of free agency their over under numbers for win totals for the 2022 season and if you had asked me before I saw this, what do you think Washington's number is going to be? I would have told you, I think it's going to be similar, similar, similar to last year's number. I think it'll be eight, eight and a half, somewhere around there. That's what Washington's number was last year. I bet under, if you recall, on a futures bet. I didn't do great with the smell test last year, but I did on my futures bets. I went over Philly, over Dallas under Washington and also bet Philadelphia very early in the season when they were one and three or whatever to make the postseason, and they did. That paid handsomely. Um, but uh, it's not eight and a half or eight. It's seven and a half. That is their win total. They're, they're basically a game lower than they were 
a year ago. They're also three games behind the Cowboys, who whose win total is ten and a half. All right. They're also a game behind the Eagles. The Eagles' win total is eight and a half. The Giants are right where Washington is at seven and a half. Not only is Washington um, is their win total at seven and a half games. Um, it's seven and a half, and if you bet over, you get plus one hundred. You get even money. Um, they're actually in- trying to incent you to bet the over in this particular situation. Now, I know many of you, when we get into this discussion, are like, can you go a little slower and explain it? Yes. So this is what you call you know, a prop bet or a futures bet. Um, it's not, you're not betting on a game. You're betting on a season. And the seven and a half number is the projected number of wins that Washington will have in 2022 and so the way you bet on that is to bet over seven and a half or under seven and a half if they win eight or more games and you bet the over you win if you bet the under and they win seven or less you win um and for those of you that will tweet me and say why seven and a half they can't win seven and a half games well that's just the betting number the 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 yeah. The betting, the odds makers understand that they can't finish at seven and a half, but they also know that if you bet over, that means eight or more. If you bet under, it means seven or less. And they, they aren't going with seven or eight because then it would be a push on those numbers. Anyway, did I do a good job of explaining it or not? Yes, I think you've done. You did an excellent job, Professor, just like you did when you came to talk to our class so do about you, sports betting so what do you at Georgetown. Th- so what do you think about the win total? They've acquired Carson Wentz, um, and the win total is a game less with a much easier schedule, even though I don't really play the schedule game, although last year all the quarterbacks they were facing, I did take that into consideration. But um, it's a game less than it was a year ago. Why do you think that is? Well, whatever it is, it should be a wake-up call to some uh, to some uh, commanders fans who are operating under the delusion that this team is suddenly a ten, a twelve-win team. You know, uh, who thinks that? I mean, they, well, there's there's always some, there's always some, but uh, I mean, they are at the same level, the same win total as the Giants, who have new coach, new regime. Totally new regime, and really don't know who their quarterback is going to be next year. And they're at the same win total as the Giants at seven and a half. I think seven and a half is low. Okay, a little low. Uh, I'm kind of surprised at it, uh, but uh, it should be a wake-up call for everyone who thinks this defense is, is it's going to be again the defense that struggled last year is going to be outstanding somehow this year, and. Uh, you know, that uh, all they needed was a couple of healthy players to have that playoff, you know, nine or ten win season uh, this past year. It's a wake-up call. But most people are trying to sleep their way through uh, rooting for this organization. They're trying, they're, trying to, they're trying to comatose their way through. I mean, the, the first thing that it says is it says that the odds makers, the boys in the desert, aren't giving Washington much credit for acquiring Carson Wentz. So you can, you can say that for starters. Why, why do I say that? Well, because the Denver Broncos acquired Russell Wilson, and their total is 10, and it was eight three weeks ago. 
So um, it's they're they're in a division, by the way, that's loaded. The Chargers over under is ten. The Broncos Broncos over under is ten. The Chiefs over under is eleven, and the Raiders are at eight. And they're you know so they're picked to finish last, and they're over under. Uh, is a half game higher than Washington's. Um, but anyway, um, it, it, it says, for starters, they're not giving lots of credit for the acquisition of Wentz. But I actually think it says more. Um, last year, it was eight and a half. I mean, you, you've got to give last year some context here because they were the reigning division champs, even though they were seven and nine. Yes. Um, they had a defense that looked like it was going to become the next really good defense in the NFL, if not one of the best, some of you thought the best in the NFL. And the odds makers also thought that the defense had a chance to be great and that the defensive rookie of the year was a potential defensive MVP on the Washington football team a year ago they also upgraded at quarterback significantly no matter what you think of Ryan Fitzpatrick it was an upgrade over Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke even though Heineke's you know playoff game was the best game of his career but Ryan Fitzpatrick was coming off two of the most productive if not the two most productive years of his career so there was an uh, an expectation that the offense was going to be more dynamic and better so that's kind of why they were at eight and a half last year. And then this year, they're not getting much credit for Carson Wentz, for, for the acquisition of Carson Wentz. They're not. But really, I think part of it is that the part of why it was eight and a half last year was a lot driven by the, the thought that they were going to be a really good defensive team. And the biggest disappointment and the biggest stunner, quite frankly, from the 2021 season was the regression of the defense. It was a bad defense last year. Bad. And it was bad before the injuries started. And so there's nothing to really hang your hat on if you're an odds maker on Washington. The only thing you can say is they don't stink. You know, they're not the Panthers. They're not the Texans. They're not the Jets. They're not the Falcons after trading Matt Ryan. You know, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not even the Bears, for that matter. The Bears have a much lower, they're like seven. or Not much lower, a half game lower. Um, but, you know, there, there's nothing there that excites us about Washington. Even with the perceived easy schedule of playing the AFC South and you know the NFC North although you know Green Bay's with Rodgers in that division um yeah i i i just don't i'm surprised i thought it would be closer to last year's number and last year i immediately thought i'd play under on it and i did and they won 7 games and this year i think if you forced me and I wouldn't play it, by the way. I would not wager on that on their total, and I'm not going to. But if you told me I had to, I'd probably lean a little bit over. But, Tommy, there is some, especially with this quarterback acquisition, there is the potential of an absolute blow-up bad season this year. That, that, that potential exists every year with this organization. But the quarterback and the quarterback's recent you know, history tells you 
that you know you're you're playing with fire going into this thing. You better make it work, or the whole thing could blow up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's something that again, worst case scenario, uh, you you've got multiple players fighting on the sideline uh, during games uh, because of this quarterback situation. And here's the contrast. And I brought this up before, and I don't think you think it's that serious. And maybe it's not. But from everything we know, they love Taylor Heineke, the players. And they love him. They may not love the quarterback as much as they love him. They love his moxie. They love his leadership. Uh, he, you've never heard Taylor Heineke described as being selfish, except when he you know, decides to dive with, with a yard left uh, to, to score. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it, it, if Carson Wentz is the bad actor that people have suggested he could be, that's going to be a sharp contrast to Taylor Heineke. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. They're going to have to, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic with, like, Scott Turner. Maybe Scott Turner is the kind of guy that, it, you know, it's not Doug Peterson. It's not Frank Reich. Your head coaches aren't also your your number one offensive minds um, in the organization. And it's going to be, you know, his little thing with Scott Turner and Taylor Heineke and the offensive guys. I, I don't know. Who knows? There's not a, a lot of pressure necessarily on him with respect to team expectations like there there was last year with the Colts. Um, and, you know, I guess they're not going to take a quarterback high enough to threaten him like Philadelphia did. Uh, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I We put out a poll. I put out a Twitter poll. Um, let me check where it is right now. So... Just the over-under. So 1,000 votes in, 67.1% say over 7.5, 32.9% say under. And I was looking at some of the comments from an earlier tweet. A lot of people say this, this is going to be an 11-12 win team. So you're right. There are some people there. And then there's yeah. some people that's, that think this is going to get completely blown up. I would think that this team with better quarterback play, the ability to stretch the, the ability to throw it down the field more so if they're healthy, don't have, you know, we're not going to have a COVID issue, knock on wood, next year. Um, I I think that this team's very capable of winning eight games. I do. Are, are they capable of I winning think, 10? I think they are too. I don't, I don't know about 10. No, I don't. But, but, but I, I agree with yeah. you. I, I would bet the over if I was going to bet. Yeah, I think I would too. Yeah. Here's the other thing too that's all been updated. Um, this is my bookie. Don't forget mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Use my promo code Kevin DC, and they will double your first deposit all the way up to a thousand bucks. Plenty of ways, by the way, to bet the Final Four uh, this weekend. Um, but their updated division numbers uh, for 2022, Dallas is the favorite in the NFC East, uh, and a sizable favorite at minus 140. The Eagles are plus 280, and then it's Washington at plus 400, and the Giants are plus 680. So even though they have the same win total, um, the odds to win the division are um, much uh, are, are better uh, with Washington. And unlike last year, where I think Washington was like third or fourth from the bottom to win the NFC Championship, 
Um, this year, uh, there are five or six teams with worse odds. You know, the NFC, losing Ryan, um, losing Wilson, you know, having some teams in rebuild mode. I mean, you still have Rodgers and you got Brady back, obviously. Uh, but, you know, the Rams, the Bucks, the Packers, the Cowboys, maybe the 49ers, Cardinals, maybe Minnesota, New Orleans, but really there's some bad teams or perceived bad teams now in the conference. The Giants, the Lions, the Bears, the Panthers, the Falcons, the Seahawks. You know, we'll see. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, there's some more that we want to get to. And John Kime just posted a complete story about the Ron Rivera interview. There are a couple of other quotes in there from Rivera I want to read to you when we come back. Uh, and we'll do um, – I don't know what else we'll do. We'll Some figure nationals. it out. I want to do. So, I want to do talk about the Nats spring training a little right. bit we'll do and that. how opening day is pretty much a, almost a week away. Yes, it is. It's a week a week from Thursday. Uh, we'll do all of that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language: immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Uh, so we read some of and commented on some of the uh, Ron Rivera quotes from the NFC Coaches Day down at the league meetings. By the way, no update on the overtime thing yet. Um, I don't know when they're taking a vote on the overtime rule. I am, in, in, I am interested to see how um, that plays out. I still, even though I've read people who have said it looks like it's going to be a tough uh, thing um, to get past. I'm going to be surprised if they don't update the rule for at least the postseason. But anyway, John Kime just posted uh, a lengthy story about what you know about Ron Rivera. You know, saying that he's tired of you know Washington. Um, he said, quite honestly, I'm tired of it. You know, the only way to fix it is winning, and that's the truth. And we kind of talked about that quote earlier. But there are more quotes in here. So the perception that Washington is a mess and players want to avoid it. Rivera strongly refutes that. Quote, let's stop assuming, let's stop hearing stuff secondhand and throwing that out at us. Um, Then on Rivera saying he wants to get away from issues that don't involve the football aspect of it as he tries to rebuild the franchise. Quote, this is where we are today as a team. This is what we're trying to do as a team. I get it. People want to continue to pull you back into this, and we're trying to get away from it. That's what I'm trying to stress. Uh, on the new name and the building of momentum, we have a chance for a reboot, Rivera said. <clears throat> if we can stop having to be the if we can stop having to every time be the focal point of football, I respect what happened over here and I understand how serious it is, but my job is about football and we're trying to create a sustainable winning culture. We're serious about it. Um, and then He said, the situation in Washington is, quote, a lot better than people are portraying it. I'll tell you that right now. Close quote. And he pointed to the solid offensive line, the 1,000-yard running back in Antonio Gibson, the 1,000-yard receiver and Terry McLaurin as reasons for optimism. What a tired act that is. They still have a defense capable of success. (laughs) This is such a – this is this tired pitch. I mean, they didn't have a Pro Bowl player on their offense last year, and their best lineman uh, has left. You know, I mean, this is ridiculous. Uh, Washington hasn't hasn't had a winning season since 2016, um, but Rivera has pointed to um, this upcoming season as the one where they can make a leap. Quote, I believe that. Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I do the things I do to promote who we are? I do believe in us. I do believe where we are. I believe in this fan base. We have to win, and that's the truth of the matter. Closed quote. He also, at some point, because I read this on Twitter earlier, referred to the third year, you know, his third year being a big third year. Yeah. It's the all-important year, as he was mentioned before. He's he's right. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Especially when you've had two losing seasons in your first two years. The third year becomes significantly important yeah the third year in carolina began a five-year run of winning three division titles going to a super bowl in the playoffs four times but he also had cam newton at quarterback which he had drafted in his first year and he had a hell of a defensive football team led by luke keekley um and others um but um i don't have a problem with any of this i i, I you know if i were him i i uh, it's coach centric, so you know on some level he's the face of the entire franchise. So he can't just say, just you know, let's focus on football. 
Um, but he does say, you know, I understand where people are coming from. I respect what happened over here, meaning, you know, all of the sexual assault, you know, allegations. And I understand how serious it is. But my job is about football, and we're trying to create a sustainable winning culture here. We're serious about it. By the way, has anyone asked him if he's been questioned in the DEA investigation of, of the personal uh, – the, the uh, trainer that he brought in from Carolina, Ryan Vermillion, who is under a federal probe. Yeah, uh, has anyone asked him that if he's been questioned at all? I don't know, but I did read that's somewhere. Not un- that's not an unreasonable question, you know. He's the guy who brought the the, the trainer in. Yeah, I mean, at any investigation, you think, well, let's talk to the guy who hired him. I mean, it doesn't implicate him in anything, but he had to be questioned. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's a question or not. I know that he has talked about they're going to hire a new, you know, head strength and conditioning um, person. So they're going to replace Ryan Vermillion. So I guess that means okay. that Ryan Vermillion's not coming back. He's, I guess that means he's disappeared. And the assistant trainer's gone too. Um, I don't remember his name. You don't? No. Was he on the, was he the assistant trainer this year? Yes, he's gone too. He was suspended as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Although I don't. I oh don't yeah, think yeah, yeah. Doug, Doug Quan. D- Doug Quan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. What did you want? So your whole medical staff was under investigation by the DEA. But yeah, let's <laughs> concentrate on football. Well, absolutely. I, well, Tommy, the only way out of this is to win. So they better be concentrating on football because that's where they can win. It's the only place they can win. If they don't win this year, if they're not a contender through much of this year, man, whatever's left is going to be gone. And God forbid there be more, not that I'd bet against it, more controversy, you know, more women, more testimony in front of Congress. Snyder, look, all of that, if it's not leading to Snyder being ousted, it's not good for them. No. No, it's not. All right. What did you want to say about the Nats as we are, I guess, eight days, nine days away from opening day? Well, they're not exactly having a great spring training. I mean, you know, look, exhibition baseball, you don't put anything into their record. But, you know, they're not hitting well. They're not pitching that well. They're 1-8 and eight so far in, in, in exhibition games. They're going to go into the season probably with a third baseman, uh, who was almost who was pretty much out of baseball last year? Uh, well, one good thing is Patrick Corbin yesterday looked good uh, in a game against the Marlins. They got beat eight to one, and he gave up. and And the Marlins scored four runs off him in a fourth inning, but they were all unearned because of errors, uh, which is not good either. I mean, because their their defense doesn't look that strong either. So so you had Patrick Corbin yesterday who pitched five innings and didn't give up any earned runs and only three hits and struck out six. But they wound up getting beat 8-1. to one. Uh, They need a lot of things to go right this year. Strasburg is not going to be on the roster when the season starts. Corbin will probably be your starting pitcher. They're looking at Cade Cavalli, their young, top young pitching prospect, who they swore this winter is a year away from being ready. As are as are other top pitching prospects in their organization, but he's looked good in spring training. 
and they may be desperate enough that, that they may have to put him in the starting rotation uh, because it's pretty thin uh, right now. They're, they're, and the Marlins look like the Marlins, who you know, look like a better team this year. So uh, again, like I said, they need they're going to score runs, but their pitching is suspect. Their relief pitching has has really not stood out at all. Uh, Will Harris, one of their relievers, is still coming back from that thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, the kind, same kind that Strasburg had. Uh, and, uh, you know, they could, lose a lot of, they could lose a lot of games like they did last year. You know, they could have a lead in the sixth inning right. and then wind up losing. Is Tyler, uh, is Tyler Clippert they, on this roster? Did I read that the other yes, day? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. It's almost like 2008 where they basically opened the doors to anyone who wanted to show up for a tryout. Uh, that's kind of the way they're operating this year. It's reminiscent, uh, in a way, of the Bowden days in terms of uh, relief pitching. Uh, they don't appear to have a strong bullpen. Is... A lot, again, they need to go have a lot of things go right for them. Are we going to get Scherzer in the opener next week here for the Mets? No, Do you he's have not any... pitching the opener. It'll be DeGrom, but Scherzer is pitching Friday and that game is not going to be on TV. It's going to be on Apple TV. What? Yes. What do you? What do you? They made t- a deal. MLB, MLB made a deal with Apple TV to show a number of games, and that's one of them. So you won't be able to watch Scherzer pitch well, Friday got, night well, unless I, you're at the ballpark. I have Apple TV. I mean, but well, then you'll be able to watch it. That's a Friday night game. A week from this coming Friday night. It's night yes. two of the season. They open up the day before. So you're saying DeGrom pitches the opener, and then Scherzer will pitch game two for the Mets against the Nats at Nats Park. Yes. And just to alert everybody, Bob Costas, his show, back on the record, uh, Friday, April 1st at 11 p.m., and then you know it'll be on demand after that. Max Scherzer is going to be one of his guests. On, on the Bob Costa show start uh, this Friday, April first. Another one of his guests is one of our one of our greatest guests ever, and that's Billy Crystal. Oh yeah, um, Tommy. Yeah. Tommy, those first because of the expectations for the Mets, the, that fan base is going to descend upon Nats Park next Thursday, especially Friday yeah. night, and you know yeah. Scherzer is going to have regardless of who shows, a home uh, environment for himself, I think. Um, I don't know how the Nets fans will react, but my God, the Mets fans with the expectations that they have and to see DeGrom and Scherzer night one and night two, there are going to be a lot of New Yorkers in town next Thursday and Friday. Yes, there will. And my my, uh, youngest son, who hopefully will be working as a bartender at the bullpen again, uh, this year, I don't know. I haven't talked to him. Well, he's not going to be back. He's got final exams. What am I talking about? He'll be back for the summer. But maybe he should come back. I'm going to call him today, and I'm going to say, you better be down there for Thursday and Friday, next Thursday and Friday, because you're going to make a fortune. Um, maybe you should the go bullpen. down there and work. Why don't, we, why don't we both go down there and hang out and just drink some beers and watch some baseball? You're going to be there for opening day. God, remember, yes. remember our little studio in the bullpen? 
at Bo Blair's bull, yeah. uh, Bo Blair's uh, bullpen. Uh, we ha- they they built yeah. that little studio for us right there. I love that, that little, little thing to do. Box. Yeah, to do shows yeah, from. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah, yeah, that was okay. People used to see you walking by because it had it had glass, and people on the street would bang on the window and say hi and stuff. I always liked interacting with fans in the bullpen. Yeah, that was always a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know what? I can't believe I haven't asked you about is Will Smith and Chris Rock. I can't believe oh, yeah. I almost forgot. Everybody, I am sure, listening to this podcast wants to know what you think. Well, I thought Will, Will Smith was a little bit out of line. I mean, you can't get up out of your seat and smack a guy uh, <laughs> on, on national TV like that, live TV. Especially when you're probably going to be winning the Best Actor Award, and you probably know it. He's a vessel for love, that's what he said. You know? So, uh, Will Smith looked looked pretty much absurd doing it, and other people pointed out, and I think they're trying. If that had been Dwayne Johnson up there, The Rock, making jokes, I don't think Will Smith gets out of his chair. What do you think? Um... I haven't changed my mind. Will, Will Smith issued an apology and said his, you know, behavior was unacceptable and inexcusable. And I said, uh, you know, certainly that wasn't how to handle it in that moment. But I do kind of recognize, and I guess, actually, I don't know if this is true or not, because I kind of dropped paying attention to this after yesterday's shows. But did Chris Rock say he did know that she suffered from alopecia or not? I don't know. But one thing from the video that people have concluded is that when Chris Rock made the joke, Will Smith laughed. Well, he did, but then he saw his wife's reaction. I'm not yeah. sh- Look, I admitted this yesterday. If I had been watching this live, which I wasn't, the joke would have gone right over my head because I never saw G.I. Jane 1. I, I didn't know anything. I would have never gotten the joke about the bald head being similar to Demi Moore's, you know, head in G.I.J. Jane 1. I also would have never known, because I really don't give a shit about these people, that Jada Pinkett Smith's got alopecia, and that's why she's got a bald head. Um, He did laugh initially, and then he realized how upset she was, because you could see how angry and upset she was. Uh, with that, with with the joke, and what I said yesterday is, I can certainly understand the emotion of wanting to be protective of your wife, and you know, even though I understand comedic privilege, and when you show up at an event like that, you know, especially when you're up for actor of the year in in a in a movie that did so well, this is what that environment is. You can be the punching bag for Ricky Gervais or for. Chris Rock or for any of the comedians that stepped to it. But I also understood uh, Will Smith's, you know, um, inclination to protect his wife. But there, there's apparently lots of context there and lots of bad blood and whatever. Um, but And, um, and, and, and here's, the, here's the other thing, though, too. Yeah. If that was his motive, you know, you could easily read into what happened. And he looked at his wife and said, oh, shit. I'm going to be in a world of trouble if I don't get up and do okay. something about this. Okay, well, whatever. But that's, he, that's a possibility, too, which is not as noble as protecting your wife's honor. It's that's not. That's more like covering my ass. That's more covering your own ass. <laughs> well, I mean... That's what that is. I think my wife would certainly expect 
me uh, to react in a protective mode. But then, but at the same time, she would not um, want me to handle it in that way in that setting um, at all. Um, but 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 the thing that I emphasized, I think, the most yesterday is that. I just personally, and I respect everybody's opinion, and everybody's got you know perspective is everything. And and it, but for those that wanted Will Smith cuffed and brought out of the arena and somehow ar- arrested, I no, that was not. It may have technically been an an assault by the definition of the law, but I didn't want Chris Rock to press charges, and he didn't. And. You know, I'm sure the LAPD had much more serious things to deal with than Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. And Tommy, yesterday I played, and a lot of you commented on how funny it was, and it was. The night that uh, Barkley and Kenny Smith and Shaq could not stop laughing and were in literal tears when there was an incident after a Rockets-Clippers game where Chris Paul and Blake Griffin got into it, and then it spilled over into the into the locker rooms and into the and and the reporter said that the L- LAPD had been called and there was a police presence, and the two of them were like police presence for Chris Paul, hey police, Chris Paul's going to attack me, and the whole thing was just hysterically funny. One of those nights on that set, which is the greatest set of all time, and that was the thing. I mean, everybody, again, entitled to your own perspective. Uh, Tommy has certainly been in a scrap or seven in his lifetime. I've been in one or, th- one or three, too. Um, and, th- you know, that, that was not a call the LAPD situation, in my opinion. But anyway, um, no. he apologized. So, and, but, and again, yeah, yeah, he apologized. I'm not getting that worked up, but it will live forever on oh, social yeah. media. Oh, yeah. It will it will live forever. Chris, this is not like something that will go away. How about Chris Rock? I mean, he really handled it, you know, and moved the show along pretty well. I mean, everybody had what his comebacks should have been. Um, and yeah, if it had been The Rock or if it had been somebody, you know, there was the possibility. I mean, what if Chris Rock decided, you know, essentially, you just smacked me. You're not getting away with that. And then he went off after him yeah. and punched him as yeah, he was walking off. And then you got Denzel and Bradley Cooper and the whole group up there trying to break it up. That would have been something. <laughs> that really would have. That would have been something. It, yeah. it really would. I mean, they kind of live in their own world out there anyway. Um, but, uh, all right. Um, what else? Are you watching Winning Time yet? Am I watching what? Winning Time. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I've watched the first couple of episodes. It's okay. Well, I think John C. Riley is, is fun to watch, but I have no idea if he's actually Jerry Buss, since I've never really met Jerry Buss or really seen much about him. I mean, he's fun to watch as kind of the narrator of, of the whole thing, because, I mean, John C. Riley's just a great actor. But, uh, I mean, I'm, 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 it's okay. It, Not as enamored with it as you are. Okay. Uh, but are you yeah. going to? Well, are you going to continue to watch it? I'll, I'll finish watching it. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Um, you know, I'm watching this other series on HBO now called The Dropout. Somebody else told me about that. Who, who's in that? It's about that about that woman uh, from the uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Oh yeah 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 who, right. Uh, what Theranos? Yeah, the, Theranos the, the, or whatever the, it's the, called. The one that she's a bit, a bit nuts. Yeah. 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 Uh, basically, uh, Theranos. That's pretty good. 
I'd recommend that to anybody. I've heard, out. I've heard that's good. And also the one about Uber is good. And, um, yeah. And let me give you another one called Secret City. It's on Netflix. It's an Australian series uh, about a reporter and government corruption in Australia. That's really good. It's, it's only two seasons of it, and it's, it's all there. I think it was 2017, 2018. And it's on Netflix called Secret City. Man, you've got a lot of time to be watching a lot of things, don't you? Yeah, well, now I'm not traveling around the country, you know, going from uh, <laughs> music, music museum to music museum. The Lavero Southern Soul Tour is over. Yeah, I have not watched the latest episode of Winning Time, but I really like it. And uh, I, I am, um, oh, God, there was something else I was going to say about a show. Oh, um, some of you uh, commented on uh, just the end of the show yesterday when I had a few words about Taylor Hawkins, and I and I said that there's a that documentary about Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill um, tour is really really good. It, it is. It's it's a it's an HBO show. You can find it on HBO. I think it was done a few months ago, and somebody said she hated it and she thought it wasn't very well done. And I think I said that on the show yesterday, and if I didn't, I did read about that. Um, but, yeah, if you're – if look, I don't even – I guess you kind of had to be into that during that, you know, crazy tour um, and uh, explosion of a star in 1994-1995 um, to kind of um, remember that a little bit to enjoy the documentary. But I thought it was great, and it did – kind of describe the close relationship that she had with Taylor Hawkins, who was her touring drummer um, before he jumped to the Foo Fighters. Um, anyway. Okie doke. That's it. Uh, you're, all, you're not going to be back until Friday this week, correct? That's right, boss. That's right. Doc, I got business. Big business. Doc Walker will be on the show with me tomorrow. Enjoy uh, your day, your evening, uh, back tomorrow.